0: Hello and welcome to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. This is part two of a series in which George Lopan, Dr. Han Lai, teaches about the five Buddha families, a tantric organizing principle for understanding our own original wakefulness. Getting to know the five Buddha families can allow us a better understanding and recognition of the nuances and qualities of our own awakened nature, like a colorless light when refracted. Urban Dharma is a Buddhist temple in the heart of Asheville, North Carolina. We are supported by your generosity and by our online store, tibetanspirit.com. To learn more about us, come visit our temple in person or look us up online at udharmainc.com. Thanks for listening.
1: So I think the place to start here, since we uh, said that the, we can use this, this five Buddha families to help us understand the entirety of confusion and clarity, of bondage and liberation, of samsara and nirvana. So then the place to start, I think, would be Mm. to look into uh, another text, this text, text is called the um, the prayer or the aspiration of Kuntu Zampo, which is not the king of noble prayers of Samantabhadra. Samantabhadra is Sanskrit. In Tibetan is kuntu zangpo. It translates to the all good. The classic, the classical Samantabhadra, is a bodhisattva figure in Indian Buddhism. So he represents a bodhisattva. Well, he's a bodhisattva, a great bodhisattva, uh, and and there it is said that his vows and his practices are so extensive that he becomes a model for practitioners. And so he has a famous prayer that we have in the recitations book, which is called The King of Noble Prayers, The King of Aspiration Prayers. So that's the Samantabhadra as a Bodhisattva. Then you also, then in certain texts found in Tibet, there is another figure with an identical name called Samantabhadra, or in Tibetan Kuntuzampo. And there, that Samantabhadra is the primordial Buddha. Primarily in Nyingma material, the primordial Buddha is addressed as Samantabhadra. In Sarma, meaning the later uh, Traditions, which is Kadampa, Sakyapa, Gagyupa, then later Gelupa, the primordial Buddha is called Vajadhara. So, Vajadara and Samantabhadra kind of function uh, in the same way. Samantabhadra is usually uh, painted uh, blue and naked, no ornaments or anything. So, that's Samantabhadra. So there is a Nyingma text called the Aspiration of Samantabhadra or the Aspiration of Kuntu Sangpo. There, Kuntu Sangpo, as I said, represents the primordial Buddha. And what are we talking about when we say primordial
0: Buddha? Unborn, unceasing.
1: Which is what? Those are qualities of, very good, which is what? When we say primordial with the, well, what are we really talking about?
0: Buddha-nature?
1: You know, Buddha-nature, no. no.
0: Ground of being? No.
1: Ground of being? Hmm?
0: He didn't have a, a um, sentient. Eh? He had no sentient life. Like, no, he wasn't a person.
1: So what is it? He wasn't a person, so like he was, what is
0: it? it was, uh, Awareness. I'm trying to find the word.
1: Awareness. It was a Buddha from the very
0: beginning.
1: Buddha from the very beginning. So what does that mean? Yeah, so primordial, good. Buddha from the very beginning. So what does that mean?
0: Innate. The beginning that was beginningless.
1: <laughs> yeah, so so tricky, right? Because the Buddhists, you know, won't commit to a beginning. <laughs> So it's beginningless, right? So, so first you have to get that first, right? First, the basic Buddhist view of things is beginningless. Then within beginningless, if you want to talk about a beginning,
0: <laughs> if you're
1: still stubborn and you want to talk about a beginning, what does that beginning look like? Now, in Hinayana, how, what, is that, what does that beginning look like? In the context of beginningless, if you insist on talking about the beginning, what does it look like in, in the Hinayana level of teachings?
0: Wanting to escape some sorrow
1: for yourself? No. Even more beginning than that. The Buddha? No, no, no. No, as in like, you know, Genesis, like... Oh. in the beginning was the just word
0: it, it, it just, ignorant, just pure
1: no like from the pure. Hinayana no from Hinayana what is the beginning look like
0: the first of the Buddha?
1: no no eh what no <clears throat> no confusion okay confusion,
0: confusion.
1: Hinayana hello
0: <laughs> confusion
1: <laughs> the first of the twelve links It's a circle, so there's no first. (laughs) But if you insist on talking about a first, it's ignorance. Right? The Hinayana teachings are not into speculating. They begin where we are. They say, look at this. What is your experience right now? If your experience right now is Buddha, well, congratulations, we have nothing to tell you. Go away now. But if your current state is, oh, this
0: sucks. (laughs) Well,
1: then the Buddha says, okay, let's trace back where this suckiness comes from. (laughs) Right? So if you trace it back, you'll see that the Buddha says, it came from confusion. That's why it sucks. That's why samsara stinks. Right? So that's the hinayana position. And and there's a lot of wisdom to that as in no need to speculate about pure luminous blah blah all of that is kind of fairy tales. Because that's not my experience. It's like walking around with, you know, a particular shade of glasses and thinking now everything is the color exactly I want it to be. <laughs> that's not enough. So, that, so there is a lot of kind of... After all, the Buddha taught it. You know, Buddha couldn't be teaching things that are useless. So, so at that level, he says, it's beginningless. But if you still want to talk about a, kind of an understanding of how this came to be, then you could kind of artificially point at some place in this cycle to say, ah, it came from there. Now of course in that cycle it says where does ignorance come from? Ignorance came from last lifetime. Then last lifetime came from the last death. right? At death then this confused existence is, is pushed propelled into this life. Where does death come from? Death is the result of Old age, which is the result of so you go back the twelve links of dependent origination, then you come back to again ignorance. This goes again and 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 again. again. Right? Definition of samsara. Mm. Yeah. Now, here in the aspiration of Samantabhadra. we have now moved into Mahayana. And not just Mahayana, we have moved further into Vajrayana. And not only Vajrayana, we have moved into Tibetan Vajrayana. Because this text was revealed in Tibet. Now, of course, it says that, you know, it came from India magically mysteriously, but historically it was revealed in Tibet. You don't have a Sanskrit text hidden in some cave in India. Or at least, until now we don't have. Right? So what does this text say? Or what does this text do? This text picks up on this expression of primordial Buddha. Beginningless Buddha. and Buddha that has always been there. Now, this, this expression is not a Tibetan concoction. It already started in India yeah, to say Vajradara is primordial Buddha. So now, given our kind of heritage of the beginning is confusion, what do we do with Vajadara? Now it seems like there is a a zero that is before the one. If the one is confusion, now it seems to be saying, before this one, there was the zero. And the zero is what we call Vajadara, or Samantabhadra, the all good. So then, what is the Primordial Buddha? The
0: End of Ignorance.
1: Shouldn't it be at the end? (laughs) Is it like a
0: a prototype? In what way? In that you can't say what it is. (laughs) 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 Great, let's move (laughs) on. (laughs) (laughs) It signifies.
1: It has something to do with awareness. It has something to do with Rick Bub. Sure, but but different, kind of like the context is different it's related to awareness and, and more specifically just pure awareness it's related to that but what, what, what is it? I mean, how always, does it function? it was never confused sorry? it was never confused it was never confused, so meaning what?
0: <laughs> nirvana clarity
1: that, that has more to do with the end of applying the process which is not, not different. I mean, we are there. <coughs> but let's try to, you know, get, get to a better understanding of what's the purpose of talking about primordial Buddha. Let's think of it that way. You know, rather than thinking, let's, let's figure out what the meaning is. Maybe ask the question of what is the purpose of asserting, of, of saying there is a primordial Buddha. What's the purpose
0: the assumption is that it's our
1: nature hmm. ah nature. our potential yeah so our nature yeah so this is really the consequence of buddha nature right now buddha nature is sort of personified so now a slightly different genesis a slightly different origin of confusion Uh, is being presented. See, the Buddhist critique of theistic tradition is to say that, so you ask, where did all of this come from? And you say, you know, well, this came from, you know, I, I think like, you know, if you ask, you know, I know this. This is like a, a tactic, uh, or the approach used, like in Asia. I see this uh, Christian missionaries. You know, they say, "Well, look around in your house. This table, this chair, was it always there?"
0: Yeah.
1: And of course, you will say, "Oh no." You know. Then they say, "So, uh, how did it got get there?" Oh well, you know, the chair maker and the table maker uh, was there and made them, and so they're there. And then they will say, "Well." where did the chairmaker and the table maker come from? And until now, they're very Buddhist, actually. It's like, well, the chair maker and the table maker came from, I don't know, their mom and dad. And they're like, well, where does their mom and dad come from? You see where this is going, right? Then eventually they say, well, it must come from a creator God. Right? It all sounds very reasonable. I mean, if, if we know from experience that this table has not always been here, somebody created it, then you go far back enough, all of this couldn't have just been here, somebody must have created it. I mean, that's great if you are willing to stop asking that question and arrive at God and say, well, I, 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 I can't ask any further. <laughs> Where did God come from? <laughs> right? Stop, stop. No, no. Go there. He'll smite you. Right? No more asking. So that's, that's sort of a theistic problem. Buddhists, you know, I mean, as long as we're in the realm of explaining things, you're always going to run into some kind of problems. The Buddhist side would be Okay, where did this come from? Okay, then you trace back, 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 and you go, oh, ignorance. And of course, the Buddhist equivalent of the God problem is, eh, you can't ask where ignorance comes from. <laughs> it's always been there, right? What's behind that curtain? Uh-uh, nothing. <laughs> right? Nothing's behind that curtain. Huh? Or it's just Ignorance. Well, what's behind the ignorant curtain? Another ignorance, right? So turtles all the way down, right? Ignorance all the way down. Now, the Buddhist assertion, the Buddhist genesis, if you want to call it that, at the end of the day, and this is important, it's never about the genesis of what's out there. The Buddhist origin story, you could say, I guess, you know, there are problems putting it in, in this way, but I can't find a better way to put it. You could say that fundamentally, any kind of Buddhist origin stories, right, Genesis stories, is basically a psychological model. It's a narrative to explain our psychology so when Buddha says that ignorance is the cause of our current dukkha you could say that there are implications of that statement upon, you know this but more fundamental than this is this We tend to think of samsara as a place, like this place. But samsara is not a place. Samsara is a mode of being. A mode of being. A confused mode of being. So when Buddhists posit, or when the Buddha presents avidya, confusion, maritva, lack of awareness, as Right, the start. It's not the same as, you know, in the beginning was the word you know, from John. It's not the beginning of, you know, like the way uh, the Hebrew Bible talks about how it all started. That they're not interested in psychology. They're interested in this. So likewise, when we talk about primordial Buddha, don't make the mistake of thinking the Big Bang. It's nothing to do with that. It's, it's, it's about this. It's about the experience. So right now, our experience is that our mode of being of is is filled with confused experiences. So if we follow the Hinayana teachings, then we go all the way to ignorance. And for many Buddhists, that's enough. No need to go further. Because if if you have identified ignorance as the cause of confusion, or, or as the cause of suffering, then... You go and remove that. But in the Vajrayana system, in the Mahayana, Mahayana is kind of a little bit tentative. Yeah, it's pure, but let's not talk too much about it. Vajrayana is 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 kind of you know in your face about it yeah with no apologies they're going to talk about divine they're going to talk about pure they're going to talk about deities they're going to have all this very uh, flamboyant and Mahayana is kind of like yeah pure okay, okay let's move on <laughs> pure but empty <laughs> yeah.
0: you know
1: pure but empty but actually you, you can't like yank Vajrayana out of this three three part Hinayana, Mahayana, Vajrayana as working together otherwise you would otherwise if you yank Vajrayana out of its context then it becomes eternalism everything is pure the problem of we talk about the Buddhist teachings as the middle way Right? And the middle way is the way that is free from nihilism or eternalism or essentialism. And what is the problem with these two? Is that neither nihilism nor essentialism leaves any place for action. What's the point of doing anything? If everything leads to nothing, why bother? Nihilism. If everything is meaningless, or haphazard, everything is just haphazard. Anything, you know, whatever happens to you, oh, it's luck. Where luck come from? Who knows? It's luck. Nihilism. Eternalism would be, God has already decided, everything will be the way it is, No matter what you do. Or, it's already fixed. It's pure. Everything is divine.
0: There's
1: nothing to do also. So we come back to primordial Buddha. So primordial Buddha is talking about actually behind that curtain that you call confusion is the innate nature of being awakened. Now, once they go in that direction, then they have to account for, wait a minute. So are you saying that confusion arose from
0: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> <clears throat> right? Now you have a problem. And in the in the theistic tradition, that's the problem of Satan. If God is absolute, where the heck did evil come from? Of course, you know, they do their theological gymnastics to kind of accommodate Satan. Not to say we Buddhists don't do, you know, other dharma gymnastics to kind of accommodate this confusion in the face of clarity. So, so, one way... Yeah. Now, one way to, to look at this... So, I said, from this aspiration of Samantabhadra... One section of it says this. It says, at first... So, this is as good as it gets, right? In the beginning. Yeah. It says, at first... For bewildered beings... Which is their translation of samsaric beings. See, even this, when they want to talk about beginning, they begin at already samsara, because in a way it's like you, you can't escape that. Where else do you start? You know. So it says, at first, for samsaric beings, awareness did not arise on the ground. Meaning on the ground level, at the beginning, which is beginningless, awareness did not arise. There was no awareness. That obscurity of unconsciousness is the cause of ignorance. So now, now they are giving a more subtle read on this ignorance that generally all Buddhists accept. So they say, So so what is that what is that ignorance? That ignorance is simply awareness not arising on the ground. And you say, what is the ground? The ground is, in this case, Samantabhadra. The all good. That means awareness did not cognize itself and not not recognizing itself then everything goes from there Uh, or devolves from there so it goes on to say from that unconsciousness emerged terrified blurry cognition self and other and enmity were born from that through the gradual intensification of habit, sequential entry into samsara began. Then the five afflictive emotions developed. Then the actions uh, that issue from these five poisons become unceasing. Then the six realms manifest. Then all the sufferings yeah, uh, experience. So, a moment of lack of awareness, awareness of what? Awareness of awareness itself. So, another kind of poetic way to express is when awareness goes outside, when awareness goes outside, when awareness goes, when awareness goes to play outside. In that moment, unawareness has begun. So, this primordial awareness is the primordial Buddha, is the Buddha nature. <coughs> Failing to recognize itself, then so it says one ground, two paths. This is a common uh, kind of... I think <coughs> more so in Dzogchen than mahamudra. One ground, two paths. So one became sentient being and one becomes Samantabhadra. So in, in a way, the ground is even more basic than Samantabhadra. In that ground... Once there is this lack of recognizing awareness as itself, then it devolves into samsara. But if there is recognition, there is awareness, then in that moment, it's samantabhadra. It's the all good. So now, the primordial Buddha isn't something or someone out there. Why? Because in every moment of our So we think, again, we think of samsara as outside. We also think of samsara as something that continues with or without you. Actually, it's not. Samsara is constantly produced with the arising of each moment, each thought. Samsara is not a place out there. It's not a condition out there. It is your very mode of being. So if... and, 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 and er, And our being is not one thing. It's momentary. It arises moment to moment. In the arising of each moment, that moment... And so they give some numbers, you know. Exactly if it is, who knows? But a point is being made. In that moment, they say you can divide it into 60 parts. The first part of the 60 part is pure, the ground. It's when it's just the ground. In the second part of the 60 parts, it either becomes samantabhadra, in which case then it's what they call self-liberated, or it's samsara. Because in, in that first moment of ground, then the second moment, if there's no awareness, then it becomes confusion. Then moment part two to part 60, it's all confused. But if there's recognition, then part two to part sixty, it's Samanta Bhadra. Then in the next moment, because this is samantha in the next moment, yeah, again the ground, and then in the second moment of the in the second part of the next moment, is there awareness or not? If there's no awareness, then it's samsara again.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're saying that there can be sometimes moments of awareness but then gone. They come and go. Mm-hmm. Come and yeah. go. But once we've come into this world it seems like we are yeah, aware- yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: see you're thinking about the big coming into the world. Yeah. These teachings are always about this very moment of mine. Oh, okay. Yeah so you have to apply the ground top the primordial buddha top all of that not in some sort of out there not even like in this lifetime time when I was born but now
0: wow okay Yeah. that, that changes things
1: yeah otherwise you know you turn into what we call mudikpa heretics We're not so concerned about heretics, but in India, you know, Tibet, we're concerned about heretics. (laughs) So within that, (coughs) yeah, now we turn to the five Buddha families. And the place to start, actually, is in the Klesha. Look at this chart. So we start the hinayana way, so to say. So we when we start with the hinayana way, we have to start with klesha. You see the third attribute? Klesha. Klesha means afflicted. Yeah? Afflicted emotions. Afflictive emotions. And so these are the five root yeah, or basic forms of afflicted afflictive emotions. Ignorance. So that's the most basic. Now you want to say where does ignorance come from? Ignorance comes from unawareness. In Dzogchen language, Marikpa. Rikpa is awareness. Marikpa is lack of awareness. Then ignorance or bewilderment or confusion once there is bewilderment and confusion then uh, aggression arises and passion arises uh, or attachment aggression and attachment now you see I have picked up which Buddha families? Vajra and
0: Padma
1: Uh, Buddha Vajra and Padma right? Buddha Vajra and Lotus And these are the three families under the earlier model of the three Buddha families. You can see how the three Buddha families then get elaborated into the five Buddha families. Because these are the, the three poisons, ignorance, attachment, and aversion are the three poisons. From the interaction of the three poisons, you get the other two derivative poisons, which is pride and jealousy. Where is envy? Uh, envy is uh, under jealousy, a subset of that. Uh, they have they go into very fine details about, you know, jealousy with a little bit of uh, flavoring from over here. It's this kind of an emotion and this kind. So they identify like, uh, you know, 60-some types or 50-some types of, of combinations of minds. Uh, but, but the jealousy uh, and envy because sometimes it's 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 English words that they've chosen differently to translate but these are the five root afflictive emotions so from from ignorance arises aggression and attachment and interaction of these produces pride and jealousy so that's our five basic uh, from the perspective of where does suffering come from? Suffering definitely comes from these five things. And suffering is experienced as these five things. When we say suffering comes from, it's not as if, you know. These these five are suffering itself.
0: Right?
1: Agree? Yes? Any questions or comments, whether here or folks magically participating from other universes? (laughs) Finally, we have actualized some of the miracles for ordinary
0: beings.
1: (laughs) The Buddha taught, it says, all the world systems everywhere. They were anticipating this day.
0: (laughs) Is Everyone still there? I guess I have a, I don't know if it's a question. Maybe you can elaborate. Uh huh. The, the, that term ground, mm-hmm. um, it always kind of trips me up because mm-hmm. I don't know if I mean it's not something that we would, it's not in our way of thinking because we think ground, it's, I mean, it's bottom, but it's not exactly
1: like that. Yeah. There are tendencies to read or interpret or to understand ground closer to the way we normally understand ground. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Even in Buddhist teachings, even in teachers' teaching. Mm -hmm. Some teachers are much more comfortable letting us think of it as kind of a universal collective, so so they do go in the direction and talking about it is as if it's something like we might call the collective unconscious, mm-hmm. you know, yes, yeah, and and then like expressions like the ground of being, you know, mm-hmm. but really, the Buddhist tradition more or less shies away from the ground of being the collective unconscious. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Because whenever any Buddhist historically kind of begin to waver in that direction, his cohorts or her cohorts will say, ah, you're going too far. (laughs) Because you're about to bump into metaphysical talk the God talk, the spirit talk, spirit as in your higher self and all of that. Because as a tradition, the, the Buddhist tradition, contrary to what you know many of us think, is actually very reticent and uncomfortable talking about mystical things. Because the historical Buddha himself kind of considered those to be uh, kind of nice to talk about, but not really much to do with um, this body, this mind. Now, which is not to say that Buddhists didn't get into that, or Buddhists didn't get into metaphysical assertions and debates. They certainly did and in order to be a tradition, that to continue in India, they, they have to. When I was in Arkansas last weekend, I talked about how, you know, when the historical Buddha died, what was, what was, um, the responsibility of those who survived him was to quickly fine-team and articulate the brand. I
0: don't
1: know, that's such a terrible <laughs> word. But, but it's true. Like, 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 like they had to. Because if they didn't quickly articulate and kind of fine-tune what the brand is, we wouldn't have any of these teachings today. Right? So then the brand quickly, not quickly, but over time, as the other brands kind of developed, they too were under pressure to develop. As the other brands talk about the ground of being, this brand, one way or the other, has to say something about that. Yeah Then eventually what we call religion came together, the Buddhist religion, with, with all the trappings of religion. But within this, the Dharma continues. But yeah, in articulating the brand. And you have to remember that the brand that was that was kind of articulated and then passed down was articulated in relation to other brands. So it would be interesting if to ask the question, although it's completely hypothetical. What if other brands than the brands, the various forms of Hindu thought well, and Jain thought and all of that, what if those weren't the conversation partners of the Buddhist tradition? Then how, how would Buddhism look like today? Interesting. I don't know. I have some questions from.
0: Yes. How is klesha an attribute of the Buddha's how is attribute understood in this way?
1: Ah! Uh, kleshas are not attributes of Buddha. Uh, the word here, attributes here, it simply means that these kleshas are related. They, they belong to, they are organized under the families. So um, in a minute, we'll get to that. Because Uh, Out of the Klesha, from there, the most immediate is, we talk about the wisdom. And and then you'll see how they are, how they might be, um, kind of how one is the light and the other is the shadow.
0: You mentioned the word sharpening. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it in relation to, I might sharpen in the west and the padma and my shadow See, the top of the path in one area is going to make
1: uh Um, no no not not in the sense not in the sense not in that sense yeah not in the sense of shadow yeah and then another
0: question Mm -hmm. would buddhists say that recognition of self as undifferentiated even in the face of form is the enlightened recognition could you repeat that? Would, would Buddhists say that recognition of self as undifferentiated, even in the face of form, is the enlightened recognition? Is that a question, a statement? <laughs> it's a question without a question mark.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh! What do Buddhists say? Is that the question? Or
0: is that correct? What they say, what say? Is this correct. Yeah, I'm leaving it as it's written.
1: Right? Could you clarify? Okay. Yeah. make noise. That's their nature. (laughs) We like
0: babies. (laughs) She says, question on what Buddhists would affirm. It's a question about doctrine. Yes. Would Buddhists say that recognition of self as undifferentiated? Ah,
1: so would Buddhists say recognition of self as undifferentiated is what enlightenment is.
0: Even in the face of
1: form. Yes, even in the face of form. Right. Um... Depends on which one <laughs>
0: which Buddhist
1: you ask. What? Yeah, depends on which Buddhist you ask. Like, take a Buddhist for lunch. <laughs> and, uh... Yeah. You know, Buddhists who like to eat tacos will have a different answer from Buddhists who like to eat ramen. Um, (laughs) because in a way you could say what is getting at it might be the same but the way it is expressed is different certain kinds of Zen talk would jive better with with that statement there the undifferentiated not all kinds There are other kinds of Chan Zen that says no. That's not what it is. Mm. The Nyingmas are more likely to agree with this statement than the Gelugbas. So where, where, where we might be differing is here more a matter of how it is expressed. Uh, I was just reading a commentary on the Manjushri Nama Sankhiti, a very important tantric text. And in there, there was a kind of a hypothetical question. Uh, this was a commentary written by Rongzongpa, one of the great Nyingma masters. And, and I think it was Rongzongpa. And Rongzong said, uh, because Manjushri Nama Sankhiti basically. It, it, it translates to the litany of names of Manjushri. Manjushri is the Buddha or the Bodhisattva of wisdom. So it's a litany of names. I said it goes on and on and say he is called this, and he is called this, and he is this, and this is this, and this is name. This is name. So it's a whole list of like names. So in this commentary, it says. Um, Something like... I'm trying to remember. But it says something like... Mm. Now, it, it goes something like this. It says, now, you might have a question as to whether uh, Manjushri... Um, oh, as to whether Buddhas are all one or many. He says that. He says, based on, based on this, you might think that Manjushri is the Buddha, and the only Buddha. And all the five Brazilian Buddhas are basically Manjushri. And so, now you might be tempted to ask this question, or even to think that there is only one. Right? And so he says, so, so you might ask these questions, are all the different Buddhas actually only one? Or are they many? Yeah. And then he goes, he says, all these Buddhas, they are not just one. There are many sentient beings who have recognized Dukkha, transformed and purified Dukkha and confusion and afflictive emotions and arrived at the Buddha state. Hmm? They each have their history, their stories, they are all of that. And now they have arrived at Buddha state. So they're not one. He says that. Then he goes, but insofar as, did this Buddha achieve a higher wisdom than that Buddha? No. So in terms of what they achieve, it's all the same. So there's a saying, not in the commentary, but we have a saying, we say everyone's samsara is different from everybody else's samsara. But when we achieve nirvana, it's the same nirvana that we experience. What? Latin. From Latin.
0: <laughs>
1: uh huh. Right. So, so then, then the commentary, coming back to the commentary, then he says, now, mind you, one and not one, conceptions of one and not one, belong to this side of confusion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Belongs to this side of confusion. So he's saying, Actually, you cannot say it's differentiated or not differentiated. And that doesn't mean it's undifferentiated. Help? Uh, (laughs) Differentiated or undifferentiated. It's here. So, so on this side of confusion... uh, there's an aspect, insofar as cleaning up our mess, everybody has to be different. I can't clean your mess for you, and you can't clean my mess for me. It's a good principle when you're a roommate. <laughs> you do your dishes, and I'll do my dishes. In terms of cleaning up your mess of samsara, everybody is different. in terms of it being clean, it's the same clean. (laughs) Yeah? It's the same clean. But, having said all of that, the Buddha state has no one-oh, not one. Which is not not one. It's not
0: one or not one? Mm-hmm. The person, now, yes. The uh, person asked about a Buddhist viewpoint. Uh-huh. I have difficulty conceiving Buddhism as a religion. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I would say a Buddhist viewpoint would be okay, what was the Buddhist teaching on this subject? Yes. So what's the Dharma? Yes. Beautiful. Right. But yet, we call ourselves Buddhists. Yes. Is there a Buddhist religion?
1: Uh, in so far as the Dharma has um, been transmitted, I would say, within the context of religion, then yes. I mean, if you walk around in Asia and you look. Uh, as far as an anthropologist, or a sociologist, they're like, oh, yeah, that's very much religion. If it's not religion, then I don't know what it is. But is the Dharma religion or not? I think then you're right. Dharma is not religion. But Dharma has been primarily transmitted within the context of religion. Uh, does it need to continue to be transmitted within the context of religion remains to be seen. I don't know.
0: Okay, so you're saying it depends on the viewpoint. Anthropology says yes, Yes. it's religion. Yeah,
1: Yeah. because they're like very religious like behavior going on. IRS
0: says
1: it's religion. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an
0: important (laughs) one. The uh, the, the
1: IRS says it's religion. And so they can't touch us. (laughs) Time to work on my parsonage. <laughs> I don't know if you all saw that John Oliver clip.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Time to work on my parsonage. <laughs> He's talking about some, some televangelist that has a $7 million property that he lives on. is tax-free because it's his church's parsonage.
0: <laughs> it's
1: like, I need to go find an attorney now. <laughs> But really, I mean, it's it's religion as normally thought of, for sure. You you, you observe, you know, people who call themselves Buddhists are traditionally Buddhists. I mean, it's almost indistinguishable for whatever other religions do. But I would say that the Dharma, that which liberates, the, the vision, the enlightenment that was experienced under the tree, you know, 2,500 years ago, that yeah? Is it religion? It's not quite psychology either. It's Dharma. It's things as it is. I mean, reality as it is. So, so whenever I, at least the way I talk about it, you know, English being the primary language that I teach in, I, I always say that I distinguish between Dharma and Buddhism. I don't necessarily. Um, kind of I don't have a problem with Buddhism because I think that's the Dharma existing in culture and it has to exist in culture otherwise where, where would it exist you know it, it floating around the air um, but uh, be sure that we take refuge in Dharma
0: yeah.
1: don't take refuge in Buddhism yeah. be sure that we take refuge in the three jewels Buddha Dharma Sangha don't take refuge in Buddhism don't take refuge in Dharma Center, don't take refuge in, you
0: know,
1: all the stuff, right? It doesn't mean go trash the Dharma Center. Please don't. It doesn't mean, you know, go trash the religion. It's just knowing that there are always limitations.
0: Did and religion, if we
1: take refuge in the religion, we'll be disappointed.
0: Did the early Christians put it in that category? or did...
1: I don't know. Yeah, it's tricky. Like, you know, like what is or isn't a religion... I think we needed a category Yeah. that no. one. Yes. I, I can add something. I know uh-huh. this is one reason why reading the text in Tibetan is helpful because it's not really, a, it doesn't come up as a question because what's, what's what you might translate as Buddhism is Sangevicha. It's not Sangevicha. It's mm-hmm. not the Buddha's Dharma. It's the Dharma of Buddhification. If I'm allowed to be literal, I'd like to translate it that way. The Dharma of Buddhification. The texts don't say the Buddha's Dharma. The Dharma, Buddha, they say the Dharma mm-hmm. So Buddha, it's is, is like this process. Buddha as a verb. Uh, as a yeah, verb. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, now God is a verb.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so then as far as views go, right? I mean, Buddhists are like Jews, right? Two Jews, three views.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs>
1: And, and, and not joking aside, you know, Buddha says that these views were given by him. He taught the different views because we have to rely on the views to go beyond views. Because this is our reality. You can't say that because Buddha is free from views, therefore I will be free from views now. Because you can't. Because what is the view that you have? Free from views. (laughs)
0: Then you're going to walk
1: around, you know, like, all religions are one, all religions are one. Right? I mean, for you, all religions are one, all religions are one. The guy there is like, oh yeah, he belongs to the religion called all religions is one. (laughs) I mean, now you have a new religion. It's called the religion of all religions
0: are one. (laughs)
1: Yes, Buddha state is free from attachment. But on this side of confusion, it's very dangerous to try to be free from attachments. Right now, what the path consists on of consists of is to intelligently choose one set of attachments over other sets of attachments. Be attached to the accumulation of merit. Be attached to the accumulation of wisdom. Be attached to the accumulation of habits of happiness. It's too early to be done with those types of attachments. If you're not attached to making a difference in the world, you won't get out of bed. But right now, we are attached to other things to get us to get out of bed. Now, those other things could be better or could be worse, and it makes a difference. So I think again, too much emphasis on what Buddha is like, and we think that we can become that by just dropping attachment, dropping views, dropping, especially Mahamudra Dzogchen talk. You know, like uh, non-meditation. Ooh, wow! I like that.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Don't have to meditate. Good. <laughs> I'm feeling Buddha like today.
0: <laughs> you know?
1: Non-contrived. Sure. Don't have to use my mind. Why not? Uncontrived dope smoking. Mm. <laughs> Non-contrived. Pretty good.
0: <laughs>
1: but all that is like, you know, ultimate level talk that it's not, you know. Not very useful. <laughs> it's good to kind of know that there is that. It's it's good to know that uh, in that final state, you know, no thoughts or words can reach. But you can't get there uh, by turning your backs on words and thoughts and reasoning and contemplation. That's why we, you know, that's why we need the path.
0: Thank you for listening to the Urban Dharma NC podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting our mission to foster a deeper understanding of the teachings of the Buddha, to build meaningful community, and to integrate contemplative teachings into everyday life. We invite you to make a donation online at udharmanc.com or make a purchase at our store, tibetanspirit.com. Thank you. May all beings benefit.